Back in August, I was invited to attend ZeroCon, where I interviewed captains of industry, economists, and innovative app founders to find out what they think will be the impact of AI on the fintech industry. My name's Alexi Boyd. You're listening to Small Biz Matters, People, Policy, Purpose. In today's episode, we talk about AI and the impact it's going to have on small businesses and the fintech industry more broadly. All small businesses are well on their way to a digital future and are already familiar with how integration works between their business, banking and process data. But what will AI mean? What new changes will small businesses have to adopt and who will manage these? What's the role of the advisor? And what's already underway in the app sphere? Small Biz Matters went on the road to find out. And at ZeroCon, we interviewed James Bergen from Zero, who's in charge of technology, strategy and integration. Louise Southall, who's the economist at Zero in charge of the Zero Business Insights Report. Sabi Gill, the global CEO at Dext. Tony Harcourt, the co-founder at WorkGuru.io, who's a local app developer. And Trent McLaren, strategic advisor, growth consultant and brand ambassador at Anacha. Let's have a listen to their thoughts on AI and the future of data and integration. Welcome to Small Biz Matters, a show where we are dedicated to empowering small businesses and advisors to engage with policy and advocacy. Why? Because what government does very much matters to all small biz, good and bad. Sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office, each week we sit down with experts, advocates, business leaders, policymakers and politicians to dive into specific areas of government policy that affects your clients and your business. We'll give you the heads up on what's coming down the policy pipeline, find out who's fighting in your corner and empower you with ways you can influence those decisions which affect your business every single day. We proudly broadcast live on our local community radio station, Triple H 100.1 FM, the community broadcasting network, and later wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's hear from this week's expert on Small Biz Matters. People, policy, purpose. Well, you're joining Small Biz Matters back on the Zero Con floor. It's been a fabulous morning full of really in- fantastic insights. And, and one of those people who have been kind enough to share with us some really fantastic information about data and integration and how it all works from a zero perspective is James Bergen. He's the EGM of Technology, Strategy and Integration. Thanks so much for joining Small Biz Matters this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure, Alexi. Nice to meet you. So today we're going to talk about um, what does AI and other digital technologies mean for a large company like Zero. And how does that flow through to uh, the end user, the small business owner? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think the way I sort of think about this is we're always looking at it through the lens of what's the problem we're trying to solve? And when you're a large company and you're trying to solve as many problems as you can for as many customers as you can, there's a lot of different problems that are out there that it's always good to sort of have a look through. And so we take a a, a capability-focused lens, which is to solve this problem, what capabilities do we need and to what level of maturity or functionality do we need those capabilities to be and so in the case of when you're looking at things like emerging technologies or I mean I wouldn't call AI emerging but obviously there's some aspects that are a little bit more emerging it's really looking at it does this bring new capabilities to the fore or does this change some of the capabilities that we have lifting the maturity to a point where we go oh this now unlocks something that we had locked before in terms of solving a customer problem and so we always look at it through that lens and then line it up with things like our purpose and our values and 
our responsible data use commitments, all those things guide us so that we can go, okay, great, there's new capability coming online. That'll help us solve these problems. Let's see what we can do about that. It's a very big business response. What does that mean for the small businesses out there who are using the product and thinking about um, what does AI mean for me in terms of the way it's being woven through uh, the product of something like Zero? I mean, automation's always been there and things like um, integration's always been there. Is this just another word, kind of like those other two that work with the software? I mean, ideally what should happen is the, the customers or the users of the platform then start to see some of those capabilities coming in through better experiences or more intuitive or more insight that comes to them so it's it's less about I mean in some cases it's funny because we talk about these technologies above the line if you like but really we don't think too much about the other technologies that underpin because that is taken for granted and so I think generally speaking if you're a you know small business user or an accountant or a bookkeeper what you're seeing is you're going I'm using the zero platform it's becoming more insightful it's becoming more useful to me I wonder how they did that oh that might have been through using uh, you know artificial intelligence or some other aspects of new technologies so it's more a matter of the application to the jobs that they're trying to get done every day rather than, oh, that's definitely, oh, I can see that's AI or I can see that's, you know, blockchain or something like that. So it's quite an interesting concept. You're using it like another tool in your armory um, rather than being something that's going to completely shift the focus of a tech organisation. Do you think that's the way that most tech organisations around you are adopting AI? I mean, they're not using it at a chat GPT level to work out the height of Everest. They're working using it to integrate through their product. And, and should the end user just see it as something seamless broadly in the technology that they're using every day? I mean, I think there's definitely quite a wide range of how other companies look at using these technologies. I think in our case, definitely, we think about it as a building block and we say, okay, is this a a building block that adds to the other building blocks that we've got? Where does it fit in? Oh, now we can reach these things that we couldn't reach before. But it's very much in that position of a a tool in the toolbox, you know, building block that we can build on. Yeah, absolutely. And um, do you worry about things like data privacy or cyber attacks? What sort of things have you got in place to protect the end user customer data? I know that, you know, Xero's got a very good governance structure, um, but what is it that gives some assurity to people who are inputting basically their life's data into, their livelihoods data into your product? Yeah, I mean, it's it's at the absolute core of who we are as an organisation. The vision for Zero is to be the most trusted and insightful small business platform. And so it's not a matter of just focusing on the insight. These new tools, these new technologies, oh, look, we can be more insightful, we can be predictive, that's great. The trust is absolutely core. So whether it's things like our responsible data use commitments that I talked about before, we've had those in play for years now. They really govern everything we think about internally. Whether it's our you know world-class security function and the focus that they have, the risk take uh, the risk and governance mechanisms that we use these just permeate through all of them and there's no there's no um, pass you know there's a new technology oh that doesn't have to conform with those no 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 <laughs> it absolutely does so even when we're taking for example like I've talked about the last couple of days you know the generative AI example it's an experimental approach so that we can learn and we can learn safely it's not something that we take lightly at all and it's right at the core of how we operate so if you had a crystal ball one final question what would you say is the next evolving impact or are we going to see the impact of something like AI to come for years before we have the next wave of technology or is everything going to start accelerating what in your mind is going to be the next big thing that's going to impact people and the way they run their businesses it's really I mean I love that question I love asking people that question I don't know about being asked it <laughs> I think I think it's the, the waves of technology seem like they're coming faster and faster I think what's actually happening is we're seeing more combinations of technology coming together so instead of 
when you're seeing one example and you go, oh, that's this thing, now what's happening is they're all coming together. So I'm an example like a smartphone, right? How many different technologies are actually coming together to make that, you know, a, a, almost an always connected part of every person walking around here. In terms of what's next, um, depends a lot on the time scale. I think that the metaverse hasn't had its moment yet. I think it's still trying to figure out what its use case is. I think if you go a bit further out and things like quantum computing really are amazing and exciting stuff, it's very much in that computer science realm. The potential implications are going to be less, in my opinion, of you know quantum or even the metaverse. Even though the metaverse is a combination of concepts, it's what's the next problem set that we have that we can now tackle in a totally different way. And that's really where I'm kind of going, oh, I wonder what's next too. So it's more of a, what are the problems that, that society is going to provide us? So in a way, hopefully we're going to come up with tech that's going to solve our massive you know, climate change problem. The, the, if you think about the amount of innovation that's happening in the climate and the climate environment, also what's happening in biotechnology, like there's these fascinating areas where we're going, these are really in the domains of these wicked problems that we have as a, as a species. And I think if you look at those and go, oh, wow, can we, we, this has been in the too hard basket, this problem. Is technology going to enable us to take it out of that and go, oh, oh, we can actually have a go at that. Let's solve that. That's the kind of stuff that keeps me wildly optimistic about where these technologies could go. But it's always the application of how it can augment what humans can do, not replace what humans do. Fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining us here on Small Biz Matters. I've learned something today. I hope that you listeners have as well. Of course, you can catch up on smallbizmatters.com.au. Listen to over 220 podcasts from quite a large library from a number of years. But keep watching this space. We're going to learn more about what happens in the big business space that affects small business as well as people, policy and purpose. Thanks again, James. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Next, we spoke to Louise Southall, who is the Chief Economist at Zero, and we learned all about the Zero Small Business Insights Report, a quarterly report that they release uh, with data from small business all around Australia and, in fact, all around the world, and what impact that has on policymakers. Here's Louise. Well, here we are on the floor of ZeroCon 2023, and I've got Louise Southall with me, who is the Chief Economist at Zero. And you've been working on the Zero Insights Report for a number of years. It's a great pack of information for both small businesses, advisors, and broadly the policy community as well. I know it's relied on quite a bit by government to find out what, what's going on in the small business community. Can you tell a little bit uh, to our listeners about what the Insights Report achieves and, and what it's there for, and maybe a little bit about the governance around it as well so people can feel like their data is protected? Thanks very much for having me on today, Alexi. Um, yeah, Zero Small Business Insights is a fantastic program. What I think is particularly good about it is there's so little genuine data around about what's happening in small business. They're such an important part of our economy, but we really don't get that really honed in picture about what's happening in small business, and that's what we're looking to do with this program. But you're absolutely right. We do have a very important that we have a good governance structure around it. So we follow Zero's responsible data use policy, and all of the insights that we use are anonymized and aggregated. And we're also also very focused on the quality of the data that we use um, because there isn't a lot of data around and as you said that means government uses it um, and, and institutions like the Reserve Bank of Australia and so we also really focused on the high quality data too. And 
I mean, it's a fairly big set. What, what's your end number? Because you're looking at like over a million small business data within Australia that you're gathering that information from. Is that right? So we don't use all zero subscribers. Um, again, it comes back to that data quality issue. So we focus in on a sample uh, and we do um, zero small business insights in five countries around the world. And a sample for that whole um, whole set is about 400,000 businesses. So a huge data set. If you think, you know, a lot of the... Uh, survey numbers that you read perhaps in uh, in the media might be like 500 small businesses to have 400,000 and it being real data so small business you're not relying on people having to fill in a survey form or it being um, you know people remembering what their sales were compared to a year ago and things like that um, which I think is really valuable as well. And it's also something that um, people don't need to worry about because, like you said, it's anonymised. You've got a governance structure in place so people don't need to worry about that. And that's why it's relied on and, and I guess, um, uh, is seen as quite a valuable set by, by government. Yeah, it is. And, um, yeah, that, that responsible data use underpins. Um, and, and the sort of key thing that I always come back to is... Uh, a key element of that um, responsible data use policy is that everything we do has to be about benefiting small business and that is really really important for XSBI so we are doing this so that people in government understand what's happening in small business and hopefully that results in better policy decisions. So tell me about those four categories that you mainly look at and you've been looking at those over time and then we might delve into what the latest XSBI has told you. So we look at four elements of of a small business. So sales, jobs, wages, and also the time that they take to be paid. We think this gives a really good overview of of, of the health of a small business. And we combine those into a small business index. Super, super easy to understand the index. If the index is above 100, it means that conditions are better than average. If it's below 100, it means conditions are worse than average. And if the index goes up, it means things have got a bit better. And so you don't necessarily break it down by categories of businesses, or do you, in terms of what sector of the economy you're looking at? So we... We do have, aside from our national level data that makes up the index, we also publish regional data so you can find out what's happening in your state. Um, And we also have industry data. So, uh, you know, if you're really focused on what's happening in construction or retail or hospitality, then we also have that. And I think the really great thing about the program is that we're super keen to share it with people. So people can actually download the aggregated anonymised data from our website as we release it every three months. And is that coming in like a, a nice Excel spreadsheet that you can play around with? It absolutely comes in those Excel spreadsheets that we love. <laughs> I also, for people who are perhaps not as into Excel spreadsheets, I do do a sort of three or four page summary, which highlights the main data and tries to put a bit of analysis and a bit of context around the numbers. So people can also download that for free. So the reports are quarterly and the last one was uh, done when? Uh, we just released our latest one a couple of weeks ago um, and that covers up to the June quarter for Australia. So really recent as well. I mean, if we think about it, we are not getting GDP numbers for the June quarter until September and we've already got our data out for people to have a look at. Yeah, and so it's, you're almost sort of like leapfrogging the data that comes out of the government. Is it? Do you find in time, because you've done this for a number of years now, do you find that it does align with what the government does come out with GDP figures? So for Total Data Geeks, we've actually done a research note on this issue. Um, So people can find that on our website. 
Um, if you just Google uh, Zero Small Business Insights, you can you can get to that. And we've actually mapped out how our data relates to GDP numbers. Awesome. So the latest one came out uh, just in the last few weeks. What were some key takeaways that you had from that latest XSVI? So for me, uh, I feel like it is an overused word, but resilience was really what I thought when I saw the numbers. Um, the index it has averaged about 120 so far this year. It was actually dipped below 100 in December. So I was a little bit concerned as we headed into 2023. Uh, every, you know, there's a lot of talk about cost of living pressures, higher interest rates, ongoing high inflation that does impact small businesses. So I was a bit concerned about how the start to the year would be, but I've been really surprised on the upside. And um, it's great that that index is back above 100. In particular, when we kind of break down into the four key areas, the the sales number is um, is holding up. So sales in the three months to June averaged 8% year on year. That's a little bit above average. Um, and it means Australia is actually the only one of the five countries we track where small businesses are selling more goods and services than they were a year ago, which is fantastic. What, which is the, the five countries that you do track? So we cover Australia, New Zealand and the UK, and we've done those for a number of years. And then last year we added the United States and Canada. So it gives us a really great perspective on what's happening in, um, you know, some pretty big countries. Yeah, you've, you've obviously got North America there. You can touch on Europe and, and Australia and New Zealand, the, the powerhouses that we are of Oceania. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I like to focus on that. Um, I always open up the XSBI um, figures and I look at immediately look at those payment times. So tell me about those payment times because they, for me, are... Now, I've, I've discussed this with policymakers before. If you just get small businesses paid faster, you will literally accelerate the economy. Do you agree with that statement? And um, what are we seeing with those figures? Yeah, it's super important. I mean, if, you, if you're running a small business and you've done the work and you don't know when you're going to be paid... Uh, that's incredibly frustrating. Makes it very difficult to manage cash flow and makes it very difficult to pay your own bills. Um, and so, yes, we, we actually, we're so interested in payment times. We have two measures in XSBI. So the one that I've been focusing on lately is late payments. So how, how long businesses are paid late. And on average in Australia, small businesses are paid around about a week late. That is, that's an average number. It's just unacceptable, really. Um, and so that's why late payments, improving those late payments is a huge focus at zero. And we've done other research which shows that if um, small businesses add, you know, payment options to their invoices, then they do get paid quicker. And we really encourage people to think about that when they're, when they're issuing invoices. The, the one positive out of the late payments number is that it hasn't got a lot worse. It has sort of stayed around that one week late. Whereas if we look at North America so far this year, small businesses there are now being paid closer to two weeks late on average. So they've seen quite an increase so far this year. Uh, and of course, it all depends on that invoice due date, which is critical. And perhaps if also small businesses thought about uh, reducing that due date, but it's it's a difficult, it's an inequ inequitable uh, relationship that you have with your client. It's very difficult for small businesses to chase those payments because you get fearful that you might lose that customer if you you know if you're too difficult. And and I guess there are some. Um, there are some methodologies within the Zero software and within other softwares as well that helps to increase those payment times. So, um, is there anything new we can expect from XSBI apart from this really solid data that just keeps coming out, Louise? 
Well, we are really focused on spreading the word and we're keen for as many people as possible to use XSBI. I think for, say, for example, an accountant or bookkeeper, it's a great way to have a conversation started with your clients. So maybe you've got a lot of clients in hospitality and you're really focused on that sector. Have a look at the numbers, see what's happening broadly in hospitality in Australia, and then maybe use that to have a conversation with your clients. That's a great idea. You can use it as a benchmarking tool and see, you know, how are you doing? And then let's have a look at some of your processes to see if we can get those payment times sped up or we can look at uh, wages or whatever's happening in your industry. That's awesome. Look, thanks so much for joining us here on Small Biz Matters. It's uh, I'm coming to you live from the ZeroCon floor. As you can hear, lots of buzzing going around me. Morning tea has just started. Everyone's having a great time. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Well, we're here on the floor of ZeroCon and I'm here with Sabi Gill, who is the global CEO of Dext, um, a great product that actually assists people with getting rid of paper, which is just great. And a lot of advisors are really keen on the product and love the way that it integrates with Zero. But I want to chat to Sabi with his worldly experience around AI, digitization, implementation, all those things that really matter when it comes to data. Sabi, the, the new wave of AI, is that something that you think small businesses and their advisors should fear or embrace? Absolutely embrace. If you think about what AI is really there to do, people think about it's going to take jobs away. No, it's about augmentation, right? It's really about finding better ways for people to be more proactive in in what they're doing, right? It's about efficiency and effectiveness of organizations so people can then go and do all of the other things that they never had time to do. So expand their advisory, bring on more clients, spending more time with people, right? We all know the importance of time. We know the importance of relationships. AI can never take that away, right? It's the human factor of what accountants and bookkeepers offer to their clients. That will never go. And we had a fantastic pre-con panel that we were sitting on together a couple of days ago. And one of the things you mentioned was um, how change management is something that small businesses are not great at. What is it that advisors are always going to be able to do when it comes to change management and helping their clients? Yeah, well, they know their clients almost better than they do, right? So sometimes they'll see insights and they'll see things that a client will never be able to actually even recognize or interpret. Whereas if we can give the accountant insights and the accountant can then use those insights to make better informed decisions on behalf of their clients. That's the most important thing. And if you think about there are so, in accountancy, there's so many gray areas. When you think about tax, you think about even tax filings and those sort of things. It's not simply black and white. There's certain things that are black and white, right? Certain compliance related activities, but there's going to be that human factor. How do I know and how can I incorporate their personal goals, their personal situations, an AI engine or any automation or any technology is never going to be able to do that. So that's the reason why the importance of relationships is so key. And the only thing that somebody can do is like an accountant or bookkeeper, they can have that and they can maintain that. So those who are really progressive and those who are early adopters in the bookkeeping and accounting community, they embraced automation. Is this just another step in the same direction and and embracing it just means you're just expanding on those skills that you've already got around automation? Yeah, absolutely. Technology is not getting any harder, it's getting easier. So the way that you actually apply technology into any practice or if you think about how many apps are there that allow you to be able to it's not as if you have to go to a, a, a training course or you know, go online and trying to learn things. No, everything now is all about 
how easy can I make this app? How easy can I make the experience? It's all about UX. The consumer now drives the software agenda. Software companies don't drive the agenda anymore. One of the big announcements you made last night was all about uh, an improved integration with software. And I was speaking uh, to James from uh, Zero about this earlier. It's almost like all of these apps, all of these new data sets, this AI is just building blocks to make um, the business world more successful. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. If you think about it, um, and sometimes this is one thing that software companies forget, is we're building software for individuals, for people, for users. So what you always have to do is put yourself in the user's shoes. So when we think about what we develop, we talk about accountants and bookkeepers, but ultimately it's what the acronym of B2B to C. That's business to business to consumer. Um, So if you think about what we do is when we develop and build software, absolutely we build it on behalf of uh, accountants and bookkeepers on the basis that it adds value to their customers and their clients. Because if we don't take that into account, why will an accountant or bookkeeper ever buy any software if it doesn't help them have a better relationship with their clients? Because that's where the real value comes in. And to us, that's where we start, and then that's where we work backwards from. Now, everyone, you might have picked up with Sabi's accent that he's here from London, and we're, we're very happy to be gracing him on our shores. But I wanted to ask you a quick question about regulation and privacy laws. Do you think Australia is behind the rest of the world when it comes to privacy laws, and should we be playing catch-up with what's happening in Europe and the UK, for example? Yeah, look, based on the amount of time I spend with the team here um, and understanding what's really going on, yeah, I do. I feel that as if it's going a lot slower here. Regulation seems to take a lot yeah, a lot longer just to actually even understand. Um, you know, I'm in part of the Digital Economy Council. Um, I'm also uh, the chairman of Digital uh, Leaders Advisory Board back in the UK, which has over 180,000 members. And what we talk about all the time, we're very closely with legislators, we're very close with compliance, governance, and working really closely with government to educate and allow them to understand. And they use us as advisors to help them when they're forming legislation. I don't see that really happening here as much. Um, I really do feel as if what's happening is do people who make half the decisions on behalf of consumers actually understand the consequences and understand the background with what what decision that's going to potentially have an impact on, on the consumer? I don't think they do. Whereas I've seen a lot more engagement from government, you know, through tech, through tech weeks, through sponsorship, through the various alliances and programs that are really being built there. Whereas I think here, I'm not seeing as much of it. It's an interesting perspective and and really interesting to see from the outside about what you're involved with when it comes to regulatory changes in the UK and the impact that good stakeholder engagement can have. Perhaps a good takeaway for any of our government friends who are listening here or departmental heads. Um, You can always reach out to places like DSPANS, the Tech Council, and really get that what is the impact of what you're doing going to have not only on the tech guys and, and what they're trying to produce, but the end users, the consumers, the small businesses and the households out there. So thanks so much for joining us here on Small Business. And we look forward to speaking with you again. Great. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. As Bifio assists, advocates and provides information to Australia's 2.5 million small and family businesses when and where they need it. 
Aspifio delivers practical and actionable advice and research to governments on how to improve policies and legislation. Since its inception, Aspifio has responded to over 40,000 requests for assistance from Australian small and family businesses and provides access to dispute resolution services, including assistance with disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticulture and oil codes. Aspifio also connects small and family business with mental health support should the need arise. As an independent advocate for small business owners, Aspifio is committed to ensuring that Australia is the best place to start, grow or transform a business now and well into the future. See how Aspifio can support you at asbfeo.gov.au. You're back in the studios with Triple H 100.1 FM. If you've just joined us, we are listening to experts from ZeroCon, which was held back in August here in Sydney. Let's have a listen to Tony Harcourt from Work Guru and Trent McLaren from Anacha, who shared their thoughts on AI and the future of apps in the tech industry. Firstly, Tony, tell us a little bit about Work Guru and what it is that you sort of, what problems you solve for your end clients. Awesome. Thanks, Lexi. Yeah, WorkGuru is a job management platform for SMBs. Um, and from job management, we mean everything from the, when you get your first inquiry all the way through to your last invoice, the timesheets, the purchase orders, the stock control and the document management the whole way through. Uh, we take care of that to minimise the double handling and the admin overhead for our SMB clients and give them visibility over what's happening in their business. So data is pretty critical and it's that flow of data is really important. But your end clients, um, you, you said when we were chatting before that you tend to specialise in uh, those who sort of use their hands and, and the trades and, and that sort of thing. So I assume you've got a lot of data that's coming in that's giving you some insights into that particular industry. Yeah, uh, a lot of our clients are fabricators, uh, metal workers, you know, construction industry clients. And uh, so we see a lot of data there. We've got some you know, BI and reporting tools which you know, tell our clients what's going on. But we also see trends about uh, what's happening in the industry and you know, where our key points of concern for our clients are as well. And what are the main things that are going on that you're hearing from those end clients right now? Inflation's one. Um, staying on top of product cost is, is enormous for, for job businesses, particularly on steel. Like steel will go up between you know orders within two weeks. Like sometimes it's daily high price, so price hikes. So that's that's one of the huge concerns for our clients. Um, the other one that is universal amongst all our clients is, is skill shortages. Uh, I've you know got clients that just cannot 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 keep up with orders. So I've got one client that's got an order book that's full for two and a half years. He can't take another order and is literally flying a plane load of of welders in from the Philippines. Philippines uh, on sponsored visas, spending about half a million dollars on sponsored visas to be able to get product out the door. So it's it's a massive critical issue for so many of our clients and it's something that I think really needs attention. It's an absolutely astounding thought that there could be a single business owner out there who's literally flying in plane loads of people and forking out all of that money to try and figure out the regulation. When you speak to them, is one of the main problems that regulation and all those things tying them in knots or is it literally just we cannot get the people here fast enough to be able to get the jobs done? Uh, it's both. Um, it's they, They'd love to hire locally. They would absolutely love to hire locally. It's faster, it's easier and they've tried and they just cannot and they can't keep up. Uh, but the regulation to get it done and the cost to get it done, I think it's about $40,000 a visa uh, or something like that. It's, you, and I'm not 100% sure on the numbers but maybe twenty-five dollars to $40,000 a visa. I think he's spending half a million dollars just on visas to get people in. So it's incredibly expensive and I understand the desire to protect Australian jobs uh, but there's no Australian jobs to protect. Every single one of my clients ask me, do you know any welders? Do you know any boilermakers? You know, do you know any trades assistants? I'll take a labourer. They're, they're so desperate for staff that you know, if, if more people could get them, that they would. 
So you've got a little bit of a background of policy. You have an understanding about how that sort of wheels of government turn. In your opinion, given the data that you see from what comes within your software and the people that you speak to, is there a solution to this? Is there anything that we can do to make things easier for people to access those skills so they can simply do the jobs and keep the economy going? Yeah, absolutely. Like you, there's, the policy change is always reducing regulation, uh, and I understand the reasons for regulation, but we're talking about sovereign capability here. These are people that make things with their hands. They enable every under, other industry. And, you know, the client I'm talking about builds trucks. Uh, he literally keeps things moving around Australia. And, you know, you see the slogan with, you know, without trucks, Australia stops all the time. So he literally enables the, you know, the backbone of economics around the country. So, you know, reducing the barriers for him to be able to get his product out you know, into market reduces the barriers for every other business in the country to get their products from you know, source to destination. I think sovereign capability is a really interesting issue that you've touched on because we hear about that from a manufacturing point of view. How do we dig up the minerals to make sure that we've got the right stuff here and then make the components and sending it overseas? But I think you've identified what is actually a really critical issue in that supply chain, which is the people to be able to manufacture. We've got the know-how, we've got the people who are willing to make the widgets or make the trucks or make everything here, but they need to be supported first and foremost. Do you think that the policy should be more emphasised at those who are already established businesses to make sure that they continue to grow the industry? Uh, I don't think you should um, trigger it towards established businesses. I think it should just be a, a general all-around uh, reduction in the, the level of red tape and, and the complexity of getting people here. Uh, you never want to do things that favour incumbents over agile startups and, and new businesses coming into the market. And you know, if you have multiple tiers of regulation, then you've got the, the overhead of figuring out which level of regulation applies to your business. So no, I think an overall reduction in that in terms of getting skilled people into the country and getting product from you know, our small businesses and even our big businesses out into the market uh, is, is probably a, you know, a key driver for what I think the policy should be, and it's just reducing the burden of that regulation. This has been a fascinating discussion, Tony. Thank you so much. We're talking to Tony Harcourt, who's from Work Guru. Um, broadly, have you had a good Xerocon? It's been absolutely fantastic. Lots of great conversations, heaps and heaps of people very interested in what we do and uh, looking forward to the, the last half a day. And the last party. Definitely the last party. Thanks again for joining us, Tony. Thanks very much, Alexi. Here we are on the ZeroCon floor and there's loads going on because people are coming in and out for lunch and they're going to breakaway sessions and I'm here with Trent McLaren who is one of the strategists at Anature and he's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, anti-money laundering regulations and basically what data means for small business. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Lexi. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. So anti-money laundering. What is it that the problem is that Anature solves and why do small businesses actually need to know about this? Yeah, so all around the world, anti-money laundering or counter-terrorism financing, it's generally abbreviated as AML or CTF, um, is an initiative that a lot of governments around the world are putting in place for professional services to try and decrease criminal activity, money laundering and all the things that most people don't do or have any impact of, but we're trying to protect everyone. We're trying to rule out all these bad things happening. Uh, Anitude has a solution which is for proof of identity checks where we can help you verify someone and make sure they are who they say they are and they're not a criminal. So it's fairly simple in that sense, but it's becoming a more increasing uh, problem. Part of the problem is uh, when you're capturing this information, to do a check, you normally need a driver's license, a passport, sometimes a Medicare card uh, to do the verification. If you're capturing that information in your email inbox, that's a very insecure place to keep it. And you don't want to wear that. If you had a breach, we've seen what happened with Optus and um, you know many other Medibank and many other providers this year, 
capturing and storing all that information in a system like Anichar protects you from that. They're ISO uh, certified, which is one of the highest security certificates you can achieve. It's very hard to achieve that. Um, yeah, this is the, the problem is that we need to capture this information. Uh, part of that problem is it's very secure uh, um, data that we don't want lost or stolen because it's our identity. So Anitra solves that by yeah, building a really nice, simple, mobile-friendly solution uh, for you to trigger and capture all the information by then syncing it into your practice management systems or tools or whatever else you're using. So you mentioned, um, you know, the the problem around cybersecurity. I think small businesses are becoming increasingly familiar with not having bits of uh, really personal data, really important data in places like inboxes, etc. Where's the link between capturing that information and any anti-money laundering? What is it about that? What is it that's changed that suddenly anti-money laundering has become more of a concern and, and more of a regulatory burden for small businesses and their advisors? I think as the world's become more digital, it's a lot easier to sign up for a bank account. I don't have to go into a bank branch to tell them that I want a new BSB and account number. I actually set up a new business this year and it wasn't until six months later after we put a, quite a lot of transaction volume through, they said, hey, we actually need you to come into the branch now and identify yourself because up until this point, we don't actually know if you're a real person or not. You could be anyone that's had you know, Trent's license and Trent's ID and all that stuff. Uh, they actually locked me out of my accounts, couldn't make transfers, there's a whole bunch. They fully kicked me out for the point that they didn't know who I was. So with digital increasing and it becoming even easier to set up bank accounts and all these different things, there's now stricter requirements around what needs to be checked off uh, before I can get a bank account or a loan or what I mean, most legal um, professional services are all heading this way. Uh, you need to be who you are and they need to know who you are, that you're not just some sort of made up person. Again, it might only be for the small 5 to 10% where someone is actually doing the wrong thing, but it impacts everyone. So, um, yeah. Yeah, one bad, one bad egg spoils the dozen. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about people that do, you know, we're talking about hundreds of millions and billions of dollars of identity theft and fraud every year, uh, and this is what we're trying to cut down on. Really, really makes uh, gives gives new concept to the whole money laundering thing. You're actually washing it through data systems instead of washing it through a washing machine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you think about all the impact AI has on all of this stuff as well. Like it's it used to be manual. You think about auditors back in the you know 90s, 2000s, and manually checking all of this stuff off. Now you've got really slick tech that is checking these systems in real time. It's checking public databases that your address matches your Medicare card, that matches the bank account you set up with someone else. Uh, that stuff, you know, might take five, ten minutes. Soon it's just going to be instant. We're all working in shared databases. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's scary. It's cool. I love it. But yeah. It's a great example of where AI is actually being used for the power of good. Um, one final question just about where we are internationally. Are we behind the rest of the world when it comes to any anti-money laundering regulation or do we need to lift our game or are we ahead of the world considering that small businesses and the community quite broadly in Australia is heavily digitised? Uh, it's a good question. I would say Australia's had less regulation imposed until recently, like 1 July was for the accounting industry. But I think, you know, bank and legal have had this for a little bit uh, already as well. But if you were to go to the UK, for example, it's been very stringent there for a number of years. Uh, and there's other countries too. I can't name off the top of my head, but I know there's countries through Europe where this has been the case for nearly like 10 years. And you have to report every single thing to the government as and when it happens. Um, I think we will get there eventually because the government wants better data and they want to have better information on what's happening when and by who. Um, not in a weird way, but just as a way to keep everyone protected. Um, you know, we've got all this copious amounts of data and eventually we've got to put it to good use. 
and yeah, for me, that's kind of what it's all about. But there is a ways to go. We're only just starting to see that imposed on Australians now. Uh, it's only going to increase from here. So how do small businesses find out more? Do they just go to their advisors and say, what are we doing in this space? What do I need to be cautious of? How can I improve my cybersecurity? Yeah, absolutely. So industry bodies, so the industry that you're in will determine whether or not this is something that you actually do need to do. So I'd actually recommend go and speak to your industry body, depending on what industry you are, to determine, yeah, do we have a problem? Is something we need to be aware of? If you're listening to this, you, you probably would know already, but if you don't, go and listen to your industry body. Um, and you'll find out very quickly whether that's you or not. Great advice from Trent McLaren from Anature. Thanks so much for joining Small Biz Matters on the floor of ZeroCon. No probs. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for listening to today's show. Next week on the show, we welcome Rob Marshall, the General Manager of Community Engagement and Education at ICB, to tell us about how bookkeepers advise their clients and how the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers are supporting the industry. Remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your favourite podcasts and listen each week to Triple H 100.1 FM at 9am on Tuesdays for a new episode. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Matters, people, policy, purpose.